My message is called compassion. Me, uh, compassion means action. Compassion means action. And what I'm going to talk about today is I'm actually talking about um, being a neighbour. Okay? So I'd just like to start with a song that I may or may not have composed myself. Um, probably, oh, I heard, I heard that on no. I see that hand. We're going to start with a Salvation Older call. Just, um, no, just so we don't have to sing this song. No. Um, so you guys might know this song. Um, sing along if you know it. We're not going to do it in rounds, but you'll know it. I'm, I'm judging you if you know this song, actually, just quietly, all right? So, neighbours, everybody needs good neighbours. This is my own composition. With a little understanding, you can find the perfect land. Oh, Frank Sinatra, come on down. Neighbours should be there for one another. Come on, bring it on home. That's when good neighbours become good. Friends, thank you. You're beautiful. All right. So, oh, thank you for that pity clap. I'll take that pity clap. Yeah. That's like groaning at a dad joke. Groaning is like laughing to a dad joke, which is great. Oh, so okay. Encore. Second verse. All right. No. <laughs> I have the words. Okay. Fair. Okay. Shannon's. Now, um, I don't know about you, but um, I'm a bogan. Yeah. I come from. I come from poor. Um, I, I've tried to deny my bogan heritage, but um, as I get older, I'm suddenly realising that I'm perhaps more bogany than I realise. I thought I escaped the clutches of the bogan regime, but um, but I haven't so much. And how, how do I know this? Well, I realise that as um, as people from Southland, um, Shannon and myself and our, our wider family and the people that live at our house, we're, we're actually not particularly good neighbours. <laughs> See, oh, everyone in my family is laughing. All right, that's great. See, um, I'll give you just a couple of examples. Um, we have a boarder that comes with his own soundtrack. All right, we always know that Tilly's coming. We, we can hear him from two blocks away because his sub is not a sub, it's a sub! All right? Um, and so, you know, whether anyone in our neighbourhood wants to hear it or not, um, we hear the soundtrack to Tilly's life quite often. But that's okay, it's, it's not actually just Tilly. Okay, you know, because to be named Tui's called Tui, you know, a beautiful songbird, you know, very important. But actually, for us, um, for my Shannon and myself, we're actually kind of like an undercover backpackers. All right, so what happens? I am sure that the rest of the neighborhood, with the number of cars that go up and down our driveway at all kinds of random times of day and night, like they think that we're running some sort of like illicit Airbnb. Yeah? And so, um, I also think that, has anyone ever seen the movie The Castle? So The Castle is about this Australian family that are like this functional family, but they do things like so completely differently. And they're awesome. We're, we're actually a little bit closer to the family from The Castle than I'd like to admit. And I'll give you a couple of examples, yeah? So um, we have these conversations, and in The Castle there's this um, one point where they're having to actually organise how to move the cars in and out. And this, you know, and it goes something like this. Oh, Steve, could you move the Camaro? I need to get the Tirana out so I can get to the Commodore. And Steve says, oh, I'll have to get the keys to the Cortina if I'm going to move the Camaro. Daryl, yeah, but watch the boat, mate. Like, that's kind of like what us, you know. Uh, Tui, can you move your car so we can get Jacob's car out? We need to put the church trailer in so we can get the... All right. Or um, the other thing that happens in the castle that we're, that's quite like us is um, Shannon's a bit of a wheeler dealer. 
<laughs> so in the castle, what happens is um, Daryl, who's um, he's one of the sons, he's on the phone quite often, and he's like going, um, and he's like, oh yeah, nah, yeah, nah, no, nah, I don't think that's a good deal at all. And his dad comes up to him, and he's like, oh, what, what are you buying? Which is, you know, of course. And Daryl goes, oh, jousting sticks. <laughs> oh yeah, what, what do you, what do you want for them? What does he want for them? And Daryl asks him, oh, 200 bucks? Mate, tell him he's dreaming. Well, I'd just like to show this. Uh, I don't mean to embarrass Shannon, but in the past week or so. Oh, no. This is just in the past week or so. Thanks to um, modern day technology, Queenstown Trading Post and Wanaka Trading Post and Alexandria Trading Post and Cromwell Trading Post. It's not necessarily things that you want your partner to have access to, I've found. So this is just in the last week. Shannon's brought home pantry doors that we don't have a pantry to hang on. <laughs> she brought home three gazebos and has told me for a week now that there's only two gazebos, even though there's quite clearly three boxes labelled gazebo. She's like, oh, you know, I bought two gazebos, right? No, there's three boxes there. Busted. No, this is not the worst. Um, on, I think it was her first or second day of work, she kind of, she kind of disappeared for the first couple of hours uh, of, of the day and worked later, so it's okay. Um, and she come back with a boot full of flowers. Like, I, I, don't mean, I don't mean like, you know, um, florists, like it smells like a florist shop. I mean like the artificial flowers that you'd see at a wedding or in a Presbyterian church. Like it was that kind of, it was that kind of thing. So it was a phenomenal flock of artificial flowers from Frankton to floralise a flotilla of females. It's for Mother's Day. There was actually a feud over that fracas I'm sure all married people are familiar with. Phew. All right. And um, we've got some good neighbours. So our neighbours across the road, we've got Andy and Nari, and they're awesome. Andy and Nari, um, Andy helps me fix stuff that I don't know how to fix, which is basically everything, because I'm not that handy. Um, Nari is, is really awesome. They let us um, borrow their like, diesel tank and stuff like that to, to fill up um, our diesel. Um, but then we also have that our neighbours next door who aren't particularly good neighbours. They, um, they've got like three times more cars than us. Um, we know that we're not necessarily good neighbours because... Um, um, the police came around the other day thinking that we might have like smeared dog poo over their um, windows um, just because we were a bit annoyed. Like, you know, we could, we could be annoyed um, that their cars were over at our house all the time, which is like pretty interesting. But neighbours are actually... Hey, we didn't do it just by the way. This was not a public confession. Um, yeah. But the thing is, is that we all have neighbours in our lives, yeah, hey? And how we treat the people around us is actually really important. How we um, how we operate and how we and who we consider to be a neighbour is actually really important. And so I wanted to talk about neighbours today. Okay, now that I've confessed pretty much everything that's gone wrong um, in my life in the past week. Um, so I wanted to talk about neighbours today. And of course, the passage that I want to talk out of is the parable of the Good Samaritan. Now, parables are really important, and they're particularly important in Jewish tradition. Because basically they're stories that we're supposed to identify with. So for every, from a Jewish perspective, when there was a parable, what would happen is that the person that was hearing the parable would have to... They were trying to find out who they were in the story. Like you're supposed to relate to someone in the story. Now, now that you know that, you can go back and read through every parable and know that you're supposed to relate to someone in that story. Okay? It's a, it's a, really, it's a really good tip. It changes the way that you see the Bible. So this is the parable of the Good Samaritan. It's in Luke 10, verse 25. So on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. 
Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, Jesus replied. How do you read it? I love that. Flip it back on the... Uh, He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. And secondly, love your neighbor as yourself. So Jesus replies, you have answered correctly. So that's awesome. So the, the lawyer got it right. Good job. Do this and you will live. And the, the lawyer responds in a really interesting way. He says, but he wanted to justify himself. So the lawyer is actually sitting there. One of two things is happening. This is what it says. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? So one of two things is happening. Either the lawyer is just genuinely wanting to know where the boundaries are and stuff. Like give him the benefit of the doubt. You know, hey, I just want to know what, who is in and who is out. Who should I consider my neighbor? He, he's wanting to clarify, he's wanting to look for the boundary, or he's wanting to find the loophole to justify his own life. Uh, I want to treat these people okay, but I don't want to treat these people okay, yeah? So this is how Jesus replies. He tells this parable, yeah? So in reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by onto the other side. But a Samaritan, as he travelled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. And in a lot of the translations it says he had compassion for him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, which were cleansing agents in those times. So he's, he's administering first aid. Um, then he put the man on his own donkey brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii, which is the equivalent of two days' wages, okay, and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. So this Samaritan goes above and beyond anything that could be reasonably expected. He wasn't just, hey, mate, are you okay on the side of the road? He literally took him to a place of safety, looked after him, paid two days wages to make sure the innkeeper looked after him and then promised to pay all the expenses afterwards, which is pretty, like it's beyond generous. It's ridiculous. And Jesus says to the lawyer, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Go and behave the same way. Now, this is a really powerful story. One of the reasons that it's a really powerful story is that the Samaritan, so this was a Jewish story, there were Jewish people in it, there was a priest, there was a Levite, and we can assume that the person on the side of the road was probably Jewish as well, uh, or Israelite at least. So the Jews and the Samaritans were literally at war. Like, they, they weren't allowed to talk to each other, they weren't allowed to speak to each other, they were enemies, like actual, legit enemies. And so the thing was, is who was the, who was the lawyer? The lawyer was a, Jew, he was a Jewish man of the law. He was someone, who, um, he was someone that could interpret, the, gospel, uh, interpret the, the scriptures and interpret the laws, interpret the Torah in a way that meant that he had a pretty good understanding of what the legal requirements were of being a Jew, of being like a good, a good Jew, yeah? And so Jesus tells him to behave like his enemy. And... Um, it's really cool because it's a really powerful story because it speaks of the power of love that transcends all creeds, all cultures, 
and creates a neighbour out of a complete stranger. So who treated that person like a neighbour? Now, I don't know about you, but the people that I would consider my, na- my neighbour would be those that are like geographically close to me, yeah? So my neighbour is potentially the person down my street. It's not necessarily the person that's on the other side of the, other side of the town or other side of the city or other side of the region or whatever. But this is powerful because it creates a neighbour out of a complete stranger. So this, um, here's the question then for us. Who is our neighbour? Secondly, if we, need to, if we need to have a perspective in this story, who are we in this story? So if you come across trouble, if you come across someone in a jam, whether it's physical, whether it's emotional, whatever, what do you do? How do you react? What's your response? Because the way that you respond will actually show you who your neighbour is, Yeah. So Andy Goulet, who's um, one of my heroes, he, um, he does, um, he's the boss frog for Red Frogs. Andy Goulet's got this quote, which I, really, which I really like. I cannot and shall not and will not do nothing for my generation. Now, if you're alive and you're breathing, you're a part of this generation, okay? So anyone who's breathing and alive is part of this generation. There's people that we're called to, to minister to. But not only that, there's other people that are... For the simple fact that they they come across our path, they actually become our neighbours. They're not strangers to us, they are our neighbours. They're the people that God puts in our path. And so this is, um, this is actually my point. Um, compassion. Having compassion for someone is not weak. Having compassion for someone is godly. Having compassion for someone is Christian. Having compassion... Compassion is not a spectator sport. You can't see a situation and have compassion for someone and not do anything about it. So if I see a situation and I do nothing about it, that's not compassion, that's apathy. I see you in your mess, but I I can't right now. I see you in your mess, but I'm in my own mess over here. I see you in your mess, but actually I've got other stuff that I've got to do. So this is a really powerful story. Uh, Let me give you an example of my own life. I've got this friend, I'll call him Stephen because that's his name. Um, and so Stephen, um, he was a big dude. So when he was 11, he was 120 kgs. Like he was, he was big, man. And like he was almost six foot tall. He's actually taller now. I think he's six three, six four. He was like my best friend at Intermediate. So Steve was like, he was a unit. Like he was like, like he was a roundish unit, but he was a unit. Like he, but the thing is, is he was a bit of a gentle giant. Now, there were a couple of things about Stephen. Um, he had this haircut that was actually really weird, and it wasn't his fault. He just had curly hair in, um, in a bogan area. And so basically, because he had curly hair, he couldn't do like a bowl cut or a mullet or anything like that. All he could do was have curly hair. That was just, that was just his haircut. That was just what he did. And the second thing was, was that he played the piano accordion. All right? So... Um, so Stephen was my one and only geek friend at a time, you know, in Gore. It was okay to like cars, it was not okay to like computers. And so he actually had a really rough time at Intermediate. And I remember this one really distinct time. So Steve and I are walking down the Intermediate, long, it was Longford Intermediate, we're walking down the corridor, and um, these guys come up to him and start hassling him, start pushing him, um, and in the end they start hitting him in the head and stuff like that. And the really interesting thing is, is like he's 130 kgs versus these guys, like they were 11 at the time, so they were like what, 40 kgs, 50 kgs, they're 100 pounds. Like there, there was nothing to them, a stiff wind would have blown them over. And um, 
I distinctly remember two things that day. The first was that Steve didn't retaliate at all. Um, the second thing I remember, and it's, too, it's, it's kind of embarrassing to me now, I distinctly remember running to the toilets. So Stephen, Stephen, my friend, my best mate at Intermediate, is literally getting beaten up. Um, it wasn't quite like Kung Fu Panda at the end. Like, it wasn't quite like that. Like, he was, he was genuinely, like, he was crying and he was getting hurt and stuff like that. And I remember running to the toilets. And I remember afterwards going back to Steve, and Steve was, um, he was, I did nothing at the time, and it actually really, it, it annoyed me. But when I come back to Stephen, Stephen was a really, he was a really great guy, he was a really kind, he was a really kind, kind dude. And even he didn't blame me, because he knew what the rules were when it comes to the schoolyard. He knew what the rules were, is that when, it, when you're on the, when you're on the schoolyard, it was okay to leave your mate behind if you could do nothing about it. Like, so he actually didn't blame me. He knew the rules. And from his point of view, there was no point both of us getting our hands or our faces or our bodies dirty. And so he, he gave me a pass, like a really generous guy. It was like, a, just a lovely, lovely guy. He was one of my groomsmen. But this is the thing that bugged me, is that I could have done something and I did it. Okay. And so let's fast forward to this story. So I knew the rules. Like I knew that if I stayed, I was going to get beaten up like Stephen. I wasn't a particularly good fighter. I wasn't a large unit. Like I wasn't the fine specimen of a man that you see before you today. Like I, I was. Like I was. Like I couldn't fight. I'd lost every fight that I'd ever been in up until that. Up until that point. Interestingly, I won every fight after that point. So maybe I just got more. I don't know. That crazy look. No. But if we go back to the Good Samaritan, in the context of the story, you've got this priest and you've got a Levite. And in the context of the story, in terms of the legal point of view, they actually had a legal right to leave the person. Like from a legal point of view. So the priest, right? The priest was literally... So it was at the, the place of the story was from... He was going from Jericho to Jerusalem. So the priest was going to Jerusalem... You'd go from Jericho to Jerusalem to conduct temple rites. Like, that was literally his job. So by stopping for the, by stopping for the man, he would, have, um, he would have potentially put that, in, in the context of those days, he would have put the, um, the salvation of his, the people that he would, um, he would be conducting the rites for, he'd literally be putting their salvation at risk. And so he kept going. For the Levite, the Levite was really interesting as well. Because what would happen is, back in the days of, if you were a good Jew, um, if the man was bleeding and bloody and broken on the ground, um, the Jewish people back in those days, they're actually a wee bit funny about bodily fluids. So if you were to touch blood, if you were to touch um, pee, poo or spew, um, it actually literally made you unclean. Okay, and so as a Levite, his job was to actually record stuff in the temple. He was a scribe. Okay, that was literally his job. If he was to go and stop and help the, Samar- uh, help the man on the side of the road, again, it would make him unclean and he'd be unfit for duty. So from a legal point of view, um, they're actually completely right. But it's really obvious that Jesus doesn't want us to relate to the priest and the Levite. Who does he want us to relate to? The Samaritan, who's the literal enemy of the person on the ground. Okay. See, the thing is, is that the Samaritan chose love over legalism. And this is the point that Jesus has for us, is that when we can, where we can, we choose love over the law every day of the week. 
See, Jesus in addressing his answer to the legal expert, he's showing what carries more weight. Love is more important than the law. Um, For the parables, the Jewish people were taught perspective. Who am I in this picture? Who am I in this story? See, Jesus didn't answer the question, who is right? Who is in the right? Who is legally correct? He answered the question, who was my neighbour? Who was the person that showed love and compassion to someone who was hurting? And the thing is, is that the law expert couldn't even name him. So in the story itself, it says it's the, it's the one who had mercy on him. The law expert couldn't even bear to identify with the Good Samaritan. See, this is the thing, and I'll, I'll wrap it up in a minute. Here's, here's, here's the deal. Here's the deal that I get out of this story, yeah? It's easy to help those who are similar to us and who share the same affliction. It's easy to have compassion for those that are like us. Man, I've been in that situation before. I've been where you've been. It's easy to help those people. Um, It's easy to help those who are similar to us, who have the same afflictions, who are are in the same line or at the same sphere as me. So you guys come to church untamed. If you're bleeding on the side of the road, as, as the pastor of church, it would be very difficult for me to go, oh, hey Anna, how's it going? And keep walking. <laughs> you look like you're in a mess. Have a good day, man. But the thing is, is to show compassion is to suffer with the wounded and the suffering. It's to put ourselves literally beside them or even stand in the place of. It's to share their pain. Compassion doesn't leave us indifferent. It doesn't mean that we can recognise that someone's in a bad situation and just leave them. It calls us to action. Compassion without action is actually the same as indifference. Compassion demands that we get out of ourselves and we reach out to others in need, whatever need that they have. It means that we get our hands and even our reputations dirty. We don't worry about what it might look like. We don't worry about what it might sound like. We don't worry about that stuff. See, indifference is worse than hostility. The hostile person at least acknowledges the presence of the other while reacting indifferently to it. So the fact that they they, um, crossed the road actually showed that they, they saw and then chose not to help. So the indifferent person, on the other hand, ignores the other and treats him as if he didn't exist. So that was the kind of indifference and insensitivity that the priest and the Levite who passed on the other side showed. See, the thing is, is that compassion does not leave us indifferent or insensitive, but calls us to solidarity with the suffering, calls us to action. We have to act when we have compassion. See, this is how Jesus, the good Samaritan, like the bar, showed compassion. He always stopped for the one. He always stopped for those in need. He always stopped for the one who would cry out. Even when he was on the way to something that was far more important. He healed blind Bartimaeus on the way to the events that led to the crucifixion. We had this guy once that, that came to church down in Invercargill. Um, he had a dicky arm. Like a, it was like a claw sort of thing. Um, and he was a good dude, and he, he told he spun a really like a really quite convincing story and stuff. And um, anyway, we felt we felt moved to, to give him some um, grocery vouchers. Like he just seemed like he was in a really bad position, and um, he was in a really bad position. And so we um, we responded to that. Um, as it turned out, um, 
he was one of those guys that would sort of go around all the different churches and just kind of see what he would um, what he would get. So when, when we gave him the grocery vouchers, um, he was actually a wee bit angry about it. And um, we found out later that the reason that he was really upset about it was because uh, we saw him a few times afterwards. The reason he was upset about it was because he wanted to buy alcohol. And in, um, in Vicarbo, you can't buy alcohol at the supermarket. So I was literally giving him something that he didn't need. Um, and for a while afterwards, I was actually feeling like kind of annoyed about it. Like, you know, like, you know, my, my, my parents, um, one of the things that they wanted to instill in me was to not be taken advantage of. Like, they just didn't want me to be like a doormat kind of thing. And I kind of felt in that situation that that was, that was what I was. And I, I was praying to God about it afterwards. And I said, well, God, why would you put me in that situation? Like, I, you know, I'm wanting to show generosity. And like, I'm... I'm not naturally generous, I'm not naturally someone, like, I'm kind of quite passive if there's someone else there that's more active, if you get what I mean. Like, oh, look, Shannon's got it under control, so I'll just hold that kind of thing. Um, And I'm also Scottish, which which doesn't always help with my generosity. Shannon and I, actually, the other day, um, we walked past, like, the fanciest restaurant in Wanaka, and, like, there was this beautiful aroma coming out of the restaurant, and, like, we both, like, breathed it in, it's like, man... Shannon said, oh, look, that, that smells absolutely delicious. And, you know, so we walked past it, and I thought, oh, do you know what? I'll treat her. So I let her walk past it again. Um, <laughs> so for some of us, generosity doesn't come naturally, yeah? And so I actually had this issue. This, like, it was almost an issue and stuff, and God worked on my heart, like, um, afterwards, because I was like, it, it was actually really affecting me that this guy would come in, and it wasn't like we didn't... Like, as it turned out, we needed it more than he did. Um, and I distinctly remember being in prayer to God and, like doing, like, doing one of those angry prayers. Like, you guys won't know anything about doing the angry prayers at all, but I, I occasionally pray angrily to God. God, what's the situation? This is what's going on in my life. How could you do this? And on this particular occasion, the one time I prayed angry, no, I was like, you know. Um... I brought this situation to God. I'm just like, what's the deal here? Like, what, what is that? Why, why would you let me be generous and then, like, you know, and then I find out afterwards that it's, it's not generosity? And God laughed, like, literally laughed. It's one of the few times I've heard God laugh. God doesn't laugh at my inappropriate jokes. He laughs at this kind of stuff. Um, and he said to me, it's not about him. It's about you. I wanted you to respond to that situation. And he said, it shows that your heart is okay. Your heart's right. So you need to make sure your heart stays right. Because the thing is, is that your generosity is genuine, even if the need isn't. So when it comes to God, when you see a situation, you can take it for face value and it's okay. Because at the end of the day... If it's genuine or it's not genuine, it's not about the situation. It's about how we respond to it. If it looks like it and it sounds like it and someone needs our help, our responsibility and our duty as Christians is to do what we can, where we can, however we can. And God can work out the, the details. Um, the real funny thing is, is that I used to see him around quite a lot afterwards. Like he'd, he'd come back to church, like he'd come to church quite, um, every now and again. And one of the things that he'd talked, uh, asked me about is, well, why did you do that? Like you know, you know who I am now. I was like, oh, well, God told me to. And um, and he said that um, he said that you're, you're 
you're worth, you're worth that. And um, every time I saw him after that, um, Don, that was his name, um, was really super awkward. And I was like, absolutely cool. I loved seeing him because I was like, man, God is messing with you right now. Because it was outside what he what he understood. It was outside what he would um, what we he would consider normal. So through that situation, I learned to do what I could, when I could, where I could. I'm going to wrap up. See, it says in Matthew, who is our who is our neighbour? It says in Matthew 25. Then the king, when we're separating out, like this is literally one of the ways that. Um, that God separates out those who, who know him and those who don't. Um, this is the first part of that particular story. It says, Then the king will say to those who right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? And the king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. What we do for the stranger is important. What we do for our neighbour is important. Who we consider to be our neighbour is important. So here's our application. So knowing these things, knowing that this is the way, this is how Jesus wants us to operate. Like we, we operate out of what we know, yeah? And once we know more, we can do more. And once we know better, we can do better. So operating out of what we've talked about today. Here's the application. Here's what? How... If we hear a message and we don't do anything about it, then it's just like we're just all holding hands and singing Kumbaya. But God challenges us and calls us to change. In the same way that last week was a call and a challenge to start sharing your story because your testimony actually has the power of salvation to other people around you. Um, In this story here, the application is is where you see mess, where you see um, people are hurting, where you see people who are broken where others would cross the road. We're actually called to walk towards the messes. We're called to walk towards the messes in our lives. We're called to get our hands dirty. We're called to be okay with what it, what it, look, what it could look like. So now that I know better, what can I do better? Who is my neighbour? Who can I and should I reach out to? What would I do for the stranger? Because what you would do for the stranger, you would do for the least of these. And it's one of the ways that God knows that we know him by name. We know him by nature. We know the nature of God. The nature of God is to reach out and to stop for the ones. I would um, suggest that for us, that one of the things to take out of this story is that we refuse to do nothing. That we do what we can, where we can, for who we can. Um, as Christians, we're not called to do everything, but we, we can do something. There's people that come across your path. We have to believe that if people come across our path, God's put, us, um, God's put them there for a reason. And if you can see that person in their brokenness, in their hurt, and still love them, that speaks powerfully to both who you are and who God is because of um, 
who he is in you. I really feel that one of the things that as Christians we need to do is that we need to love the other and others. Okay? It's easy to have compassion for that which we relate to. Oh my goodness, I've been in that situation before. I feel so sorry for you. It's hard for us to relate to things that we've never had any relation to. But to have compassion for the other, what we don't understand or even agree with, um, that's real love. See, Jesus does that for us. I don't understand why you would want to live that way. I don't understand why you've lived your life this way up until this point, but I love you anyway. Um, There's this old song, you know, um, Jesus, lover of my soul. Jesus, lover of my soul. Jesus, I'll never let you go. You've taken me out of the miry clay. Now, basically what that means is that you've taken me out of my mess, what I'm stuck in. You've set my feet upon the rock. How great is that? I don't know where you're at at the moment. I don't know um, if you're in a, a great space. I don't know if you feel like you're in quicksand sinking. But I know for sure, 100%, that Jesus can take you out of that situation. In fact, he's got his hand out to you right now. We need to be people that walk towards the messes. I believe that the Holy Spirit, one of the things that the Holy Spirit does for us is that he, he draws our heart towards people. And he draws our heart towards the unlovable. He draws our heart towards those that others really find difficult to, to hang around and be around. We need to be a people that walk towards the messes. And um, the word that I had when I was preparing this message was, um, it's better to have a bleeding heart than a stone heart. It's better for a heart to be soft than to be hard. We don't need to protect ourselves because we have the protector, amen? So anyway, let me pray for you guys. Lord, I just pray... Um, that you would let us be love and compassion and action. That you would help us to walk towards the messes. That you would help us to um, be the lifter of heads in the same way that you were the lifter of our head. Lord, I, I just pray that you would give us time and again opportunities for us to um, invite people from the outside in. To um, help them and to lift them up. That you would help us to go above and beyond what is expected or required. That when we see situations that you would draw us towards those places and not make us cross... And, and not, let us cross the road, that there would be a call to action that would happen. Lord, that we wouldn't worry about our motive or consequence or cost or anything like that, but that you would just help us to pour out your love and show your love to those around us. Lord, I pray that you continue to um, widen our um, understanding of who our neighbour is, that we would include the outsider, that we would include the other, that we would include the stranger. And Lord, I just pray for those in here that feel like they are on the outside today. Lord, I just pray that you continue to welcome them into your kingdom, that they would say yes to who you are and who they are. Lord, that where, um, where they see themselves as um, broken, where they see themselves as downtrodden, you see them as loved, you see them as chosen, you see them as purposed, you see them as called um, for a purpose and on purpose, God. And so, Lord, be with us today as we go out into our mission field. Help us to share our story and help us to be compassionate in action. In your mighty name. Amen.